You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Glenn Naughton and Alex Morallo. Good evening, Jets fans. I'm Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am joined, of course, by my co-host, Alex Morallo, and we will be joined shortly by Christian Dyer, our old friend Christian Dyer, who back on the Jets beat for those of you who've been listening to the show for a while you know Christian was a regular when he was covering the NFL covering the Jets and uh, he moved on to covering the New York Red Bulls soccer uh, and has recently re-entered the world of the NFL covering the Jets for Sports Illustrated so we're thrilled for Christian to hear that and we're thrilled to have him on so he should be joining us any moment now but Alex how are you doing today I'm doing well Glenn and good evening, Jet Nation. So, of course, the, the big news of the day is that Christopher Johnson was uh, so overwhelmed, so impressed by the Jets' uh, huge victory over the mighty New York Giants that he has promised Adam Gase and all of his players that uh, despite the 2-7 and seven record and everything that's gone wrong this year under Adam Gase, a 30th-ranked offense for the offensive genius. Uh, Le'Veon Bell being invisible, Sam Donald running for his life in the offensive line, regressing, but, uh, that finding a way to beat uh, Danny Dimes was enough to guarantee Adam Gase another season. Uh, no word on whether or not there will be a multi-year extension included if they win this week against the Redskins. But um, Adam Gase is here to stay, folks. I know I ran a poll uh, last week with, uh, what, 1,500, 1,600 responses. 90% of fans wanted him gone. I just saw that Manish Mehta ran a similar poll that's currently sitting at 90% of fans want him gone. So between his uh, his failure with the Dolphins, managing to get himself fired there after it fell apart under him, he's come to the Jets. Um, more harm than good for Darnold. Plenty of regression there. But uh, Christopher Johnson likes what he sees. Because don't forget, Jets fans, um, not long ago, uh, Peyton Manning called Christopher Johnson and told him that this was the direction to take. So uh, so Christopher Johnson is going to err on the side, or he's going to go with Peyton over, uh, over fans, over the history, over the current state of the team, over the record. Um, all that's going to be outweighed by Peyton Manning's opinion. I know Alex and I disagree on this, and uh, I was hoping to get to that. After having Christian on, and we will, we'll let's Christian, let's get Christian's take, and then we, uh, Alex and I can can go back and forth a little bit. But um, Alex, what were your thoughts all around on the? Uh, we'll, we'll cover the game a little bit. This this win against the Giants, uh, you know, it was it was labeled a home game. I don't know, I don't know how the crowd layout was or how the, how the composition was. How many fans sold their seat their tickets? I don't know how many fans from either side really would have been excited to go but as I said you know it's I think both teams recognize this was a, a rare opportunity for a win this season so um what were your thoughts going into that game against the Giants Alex and and how did you feel coming out of it uh well definitely a little surprised um that there was 
uh, more positives than negatives um, from what we've seen over the past uh, eight, you know, eight games. Uh, it seemed like there was a little bit of rhythm um, offensively, uh, which was definitely a positive. Uh, the defense played uh, very well, you know, outside of uh, a couple. Uh, I don't know how you would label it, but some some defensive breakdowns on, on the secondary. Uh, you know, you take away those those two big plays by um, Darius Slay and Golden Tate. Um, you know they played they played very admirably. The run defense was very stout. Uh, Jamal Adams was playing like a man possessed, and uh, you know not everything was great offensively. Um, you know clearly there's a lot to be desired uh, from from our running game, but Sam did a heck of a job getting rid of the ball quickly, uh, delivering the ball accurately. He made some throws that kind of under duress, falling forward and, and still had enough arm power and zip to get to, to uh, his receivers. So uh, Sam played very, very well um, against all odds as per usual. But, uh, you know, this is just one of those things where we've had a really, really bad year and we got to take take these wins um, and, and just kind of hope that we could we could start stacking them up as we have a uh, easier schedule moving forward. Because we're we're definitely going up against a lot of other teams that are struggling just as bad as we are, and uh, at this point, I understand you know, you know, tank or you know, kind of pack it in and, and get a better draft pick. That's what a lot of people seem to to want this team to do at this point. I'm just kind of glad that uh, maybe certain aspects of the fan base have given up, but I'm glad to hear that there's still some positive statements coming out of the locker room and these guys still want to try to win as many games as they possibly can. So uh, I'm in better uh, (laughs) standings than I was a couple weeks ago when I was at the Miami game and, and getting hazed as I was walking out of that stadium. Uh, So this is uh, we're trending, I think in a better direction, even though a lot of people are upset today with the Gase news. Um, It's just that uh, I think uh, patience is needed and, Rome wasn't built in a day, and I just kind of hope that we can just continue to build and, and, and do more positive things moving forward. Yeah, you know, I look at the schedule. I'm, I'm not sure how many teams that are left on the schedule that are in worse shape than the Jets right now, other than Washington and uh, maybe Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Everybody else, I think, is a, law, a definite loss. You might be able to beat Washington – if the front seven plays the way they did against the Giants, they might actually win a few of those games. But um, I just I think if, if the front seven plays the way they did against the Giants, I think they can beat Washington, and I think they can beat Cincy. Other than that, there's really no one on the schedule that's more of a disaster than the Jets right now. Um, even the Dolphins, they've kind of gone out and ruined their tank by winning a couple games. They're front off. And, you know, and I said the same thing with – the Jets were tanking a couple years ago. Um, when I'm talking about tanking, I'm not talking about the players. Because, the, yeah, of course, the players are going to play hard. Players are going to play worse on purpose, or you can draft their replacement. But when you like, hey, let's trade Laramie Tunzel. Let's, let's, trade, let's trade all of our best players. Let's put a few good guys on IR. Like, you're actively trying to find ways to put your best players and get them off the field 
is what the Dolphins' uh, front office and coaching have been doing. Um, so, yes, of course the players are still going to play. But tanking isn't a player decision. It's an organizational decision. And the Dolphins clearly made that decision uh, early this season, which is – and now it's hilarious, though, that they've, they've won a couple games because I think that you have to figure they'll beat the Jets again. Um, so they're going to be they're going to take themselves out of the running for a top five pick uh, with a couple more wins. And really, if Tua doesn't come out, there there's going to be one quarterback in this draft, and the Dolphins are going to have to give up a boatload to get him, or they're not going to be able to get him. And that's going to you know do you tank again next year? Um, and they may not, I mean the Dolphins have enough picks. Honestly, if they just 100% rebuilt their their O line and their receiving core, they might be able to compete with Josh Rosen. I mean, he wasn't that bad when they played him. They, he was victimized by a ton of drops. But either way, uh, getting back to the Jets' schedule, you got Washington, who that, that's a winnable game. Um, I don't see Oakland being winnable. He is winnable because since he, they might be the worst in the NFL right now. Uh, Miami just, just kicked the Jets' heads in, so they might do that again. Baltimore, that's going to be embarrassing. Uh, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's on their second, third quarterback, but uh, for some reason they can get first downs. It's amazing. And uh, and then you got Buffalo in week 17, and I don't see Adam Gase being able to figure out how to score points against that defense. Um, he couldn't do it in week one. Uh, unlikely he'll be able to do it in week 17. So maybe you're looking at a, a 4-12 and season and uh, another year of Adam Gase. So, uh, I mean, maybe, again, maybe multiple years. If, if he wins five games in year two, that might, you know, that might trigger another another year as far as Chris Johnson is concerned. But, before I go any further, we're going to go to the phones, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that we have Mr. Dyer on the line right now. Christian, is that you? Hello, caller. Is that Christian? All right, let me mute that. Yeah, I didn't hear anything. Somebody was calling but not hearing. It's not like they were driving. I thought I heard a, a signal, a turn signal. But um, I heard from Christian just a little bit ago. He said he'd be calling in right around 6, or right around 6.30, rather. So, uh, well, regardless of who it is, let's, let's try the phones again. Caller, you're on the air, 601 area code. All right, maybe you're not on the air. Uh, maybe, maybe maybe we got a butt dial, Alex. Maybe somebody, maybe someone who called us in the past <laughs> called us by accident because someone is someone's out there driving around with us on the line and uh, not responding. So we'll try them again in another minute and see if, see if it works. But uh, yeah, so listen, that, that game against the Giants, like I said, man, that that front the performance of that front seven, the performance of Jamal Adams, absolutely fantastic. Hairston was atrocious at corner, and you know it's, which is a little bit worry, worrisome because he, he's had a few good games to where you kind of started thinking, all right, maybe the, maybe the Jets found a player here. Maybe this guy could be a number two corner next season, uh, that type of thing. Because that's, you know, that, that basically it's a lost season now. What it, what it becomes about is evaluating your current talent and determining whether or not these guys can contribute next year. And I think a lot of people, myself included, were hopeful about him. But uh, he, I mean, he was, he got beat up pretty good and, a lot of that, I mean, Daniel Jones did throw for, what, 308 yards, if I'm not mistaken, four touchdowns. So, um, let's see. Yeah, so that's, uh, that was not, that was not a good showing for the secondary, which is weird because you felt like, you know, Jamal Adams played well, but that was 
a lot of that was in the you know in, in the box. We saw uh, Poole played pretty well, but just a couple of miscommunications here and there, and some guys got smoked. And uh, we're going to try this caller one more time. Caller, 601 area code. You're on the air. What do you got? Oh, what's going on, guys? Hey, how we doing? Good. Yeah, so I just wanted to, uh, you know, talk to you guys about, uh, you know, just, just a mind to, like, what do you guys think you now, now that Gates is going to be around for, for next year? And, you know, I mean, I just don't think that the future is bright right now for this team. I mean, unless you somehow think they're going to change their mindset, you know, of, of actually winning and putting a good team together. I mean, definitely something Douglas has the capability of doing, but what do you think about the Jets' chances for the next two, three years to come? Do you see do you see playoff contention? Do you see, I mean, the same ruckus like this year? Do you see Donald growing, uh, slumping? Like, what do you what do you think? Well, I mean, I I think a lot of us, myself included, uh, thought that we'd see some growth from Donald this season, and um, you know, it's, you know, we've talked about the the amount of pressure he's been under when he's been under center, um, due largely to the fact again that the offensive line that was not very good last year has gone from not very good to arguably worse than the NFL. So a huge step backwards for the offensive line that's led to Donald getting rattled even, but the, the concerning thing is that even when Donald does have time, his numbers haven't been that great. He's had, he's had a lot of games where he's sort of 50, 50, 55% of his throws are coming with, with plenty of time to make the throw and his numbers are still down. His turnovers are way up. So he's taking a huge step back. So I don't know how I could expect improvement next year when I expected it this year and the whole sort of the whole thing fell apart. Um, Joe Douglas, we can say that he's capable of, of building a roster, but we have no idea. We hope he can, you know, we kind of, we, we hope that he's a guy who can recognize talent on the offensive line coming from that world. He's the guy who gave 8.4 million to Ryan Khalil, who you can make a case has been the worst lineman on the roster this year. So um, not, uh, not feeling great. Um, you've got a bad head coach. He's been bad with the Dolphins. He's been bad here. Um, he's, he might get the quarterback killed and the quarterback is regressing. So even, even if Joe Douglas has a great, like what's a great draft hitting on like four out of seven picks, like okay, Just getting so anything besides the defensive position. I mean, they don't need, they don't need, they don't need defense. I mean, every year, I mean, I, I think what was the, uh, 2009, the last offensive or, you know, pick something like that was Mark Sanchez. And then you have to go back all the way to Santana Moss. You know, and that's that. Those guys were fine. I mean, Sanchez, other than the Buffalo, but was fine. He brought them to two AFC Championship games. You know, and they played great. You know, Rex Ryan was great. People make fun of him still. Listen, he brought them to two AFC Championships. The past three coaches for the Jets have done nothing. I mean, Gase has done nothing. Foles did nothing. You know, all these guys have done nothing. Um, yeah, so. I mean, and and really, you look at all these. The last four or five coaches, six coaches. They've all had really good first years. Um, Gase is the worst of the bunch by a lot, and he is, uh, he's the one, for some reason, that ownership comes out and praises him midseason and says, we guarantee this guy's got a job because uh, we're that happy with how he's done. So you know, I, don't, I, think, I don't really see mm-hmm. a lot to be positive about moving forward. I think the next 24 or so games are going to be um, really bad experiences. But but go ahead and uh, Al- Alex disagrees. Alex likes where they're going. He likes the direction. So uh, I'll I'll let you make your uh, the the counterpoint there, Alex. Yeah. So you know my standpoint on this is is I'm I'm being patient. Um, I, I took a, a couple steps back. 
a long time ago, uh, realizing that, you know, uh, setting the expectations too too high or putting the standard too high for this team is just an unreasonable thing. Uh, I know that uh, there was a lot of hype going into the season and everything like that, but I think, you know, what we've seen is – uh, and, and it's it's perfectly fine. I, I completely understand everybody singling in everything on Adam Gase. Um, but, you know, the way that I'll counter that is that it was not his decision uh, to not address the offensive line aggressively in the offseason after seeing um, year after year after year of quarterback injuries come from this offensive line. Uh, we saw Ryan Fitzpatrick get hurt with members that are currently on this offensive line. We saw the same thing happen to Josh McCown when he was here. Uh, we saw Darnold get get killed his rookie year, and he had to miss a handful of games. Uh, and then clearly uh, the offensive line has digressed even worse, even though somehow we thought that by getting two 30-year-old uh, former Pro Bowl guys were, were going to right all the wrongs of this offensive line, and uh, that was definitely not the case. Um, we, we Everyone liked the idea of trading away a future draft pick for Colecchio Semele, even though we knew the risk going in about his shoulder injury. Um, that was a major risk that blew up in our face. Um, Joe Douglas went out and, and signs Ryan Khalil, a couple of weeks before the start of the season. He didn't know the playbook. He didn't know our offensive line scheme. He didn't know um, or he wasn't gelled with, with anyone on this offensive line front, yet he got the, the start right ahead. And and I completely understand because it was not Adam Gase's decision when he came into this team in January as they were going through the offseason to neglect the offensive line. Um you know, everybody wanted and chased Spencer Long out of town because he destroyed his thumb and he had a couple bad games snapping the football. But in hindsight, with the way that the depth is gone, Here's we wasted saying, but... $6 million to cut him so that we could replace him with a backup that got benched two weeks before the start of the season for an older pro bowler that was not in shape and was not playing anywhere near the level that we thought that he was capable of doing. So we can put everything on Adam Gase, but it, it goes back further than Adam Gase to the decisions that Mike McCagnan made, um, the decisions of not being aggressive um, when it came to certain trades and, and going after certain players. Um, you know, his best player available theme blew up in his face multiple drafts in a row rather than targeting players where we were weak at like corner and edge and the um, offensive line. I'm repeating myself. Sorry, but we are seeing a product of poor decision-making that dates itself before January of 2019. And one of the reasons why I feel that it would be, even more dysfunctional to to blow up the front office yet again within a six-month period uh, because where are we supposed to start now? Who, what, in, what system can we implement year-to-date in November, week 11, that's going to turn things around in a positive manner for this team? 
it's not going to happen. It's not possible to implement a new system with a young, inexperienced quarterback that, you know, people seem to forget that Darnold was a wide receiver linebacker recruit uh, before he, he got the opportunity to become a quarterback. And by, you know, God-given talent has just really taken the position and ran with it. Um, and I think Darnold's got a lot of talent, but I also think Darnold has a lot of mechanical errors that date back to his USC days. And I think it's completely ridiculous to think that Adam Gase is the reason why he's regressing because McDonald's mechanics have never been that great ever. And Jeremy Bates did not correct any of his mistakes. But, but, how did he, but, but actually Alex, I, I don't mean to cut you off because we do have Christian on the line now. So uh, Christian okay. Dyer from uh, sports illustrated, I'm only cutting you off, Alex, because Christian is on very limited time, of course, with being uh, Let's get this him breaking story um, with with uh, with the Jets, with Adam Gase. Christian, good to hear from you, buddy. Hey, good you, good to be heard today. Question, C- certainly week. an interesting day for me to return to the show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know you and I spoke briefly about a week and a half ago and said we'd try to get you on in the near future. And then uh, this bombshell drops today. So uh, what are your thoughts? What's your take on the Adam Gase situation? I hate it. Alex loves it. What are your thoughts? I I think I'm somewhat in the middle. Uh, You know, I'm one of those people who uh, never thought Gase was the right hire. And I wasn't a McCarthy fan either. I I thought it would have been a good time for the Jets to go down to the college coaching ranks and get somebody uh, to kind of be that next step and, and to take that next step with Sam Darnold, whether that was Rule or Kelly or, or Harbaugh or, or one of those names that was kind of being floated around at the time. But um, you know, I think that there's a couple things going on here. One, Christopher Johnson needs to show that uh, he's the boss, and I think he's trying to do that now. And you can call it doubling down on his um, – you know, on his first really big move in, in terms of hiring Adam Gates uh, and kind of doubling down and saying that, that I, I'm a sure person. I'm not necessarily like my brother who's wishy-washy on some big decisions and indecisive perhaps, uh, but that I'm going to be somebody who's going to stick to and ride things and not have a knee-jerk reaction to anything. Uh, I also think it sends a message to the fans that, uh, you know, protests and everything. I, I hear what you're saying. I, I think Johnson acknowledged that. Uh, today to a certain extent, but also that uh, he's going to follow his gut and he's going to be true to what he saw in Adam Gase, who was a very unconventional hire at the time, really kind of came out of nowhere. And I think when the reports first started to circulate uh, that Gase was a serious candidate, a lot of people thought, oh, this is an agent planting a story or uh, this is false information. Exactly what I uh, said. When it, it turned out to be very, very true. And at the end of the day, I think the other thing missing is that uh, if you fire Adam Gase right now at the, you know, at this point or the end of the year, the Jets will be going on to the third coach in five years. I think it'd be the fourth in seven or eight years. Uh, it would be the most turnover in the NFL during that time. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, what kind of head coach are you going to get outside of somebody who already has a connection to the franchise and to the organization or to the area uh, who, who might be a willing dance partner? If it's going to be somebody who you know, needs to be convinced to come on board, um, 
I'm not sure that's going to be an attractive option or you're going to get the top tier candidates. If it's going to be somebody who's going to be a coordinator, as the Jets have had to go that route uh, with, with almost all of their last head coaches, uh, with the exception of Gase, who comes in as a former head coach, and, and then going back to you know the Parcells era, everybody else uh, has been a coordinator, has been a coordinator before. Um, at the end of the day, that ends up uh, meaning that you're essentially resetting for a couple of years because a coordinator is going to have to come on in and relearn a system and, and, and kind of learn how to be an NFL head coach. So uh, at the end of the day, I'm not sure if it's Chris Johnson doubling down uh, necessarily as much as it's Chris Johnson saying that this may not be the, the most ideal situation, but for the sake of stability, for the sake of the franchise moving forward, and for the sake of direction, um, I, I'm not going to change things. The other component here is that Chris Johnson's already kind of doubled down on Adam Gase when he brought on board Joe Douglas, who was Adam Gase's choice uh, for for all conventional wisdom uh, for the general manager job. Now you would be saddling uh, a new general manager who could essentially be viewed as a new hire uh, in 2020 because he really didn't build this roster. Uh, you'd be saddling him with uh, what John Idzik had with Todd Bowles uh, and then what Mike McCadden had with Gase this offseason. And that's a general manager who who wasn't necessarily on board with the head coaching hire or involved in it. So I think there's a lot of reasons why this makes sense. Uh, the struggling part is, in my very long, winding answer, is that maybe Adam Gase shouldn't have been the hire in the first place. I think a lot of Jets fans agree with that. I know myself included. When, when I first saw his name being floated, I laughed. And I, I thought exactly what you said. I thought, well, this is somebody doing an agent a favor. Adam Gase's agent is asking, is, gonna, is trying to convince people that people would actually hire him to be a head coach. Um, yeah, it, lo and behold, there was a, a Jets. It is a little bit laughable, um, but it made more sense than some of the coordinators' names were being floated out there. And frankly, I think when you look at what's happened with some of the other candidates who could have been linked to the job, I know I think Gase got a bad rap for what happened in Miami. That's an organization that's dysfunctional from top to bottom. And if I make some arguments that there are some similarities here with what's going on in New York. I, I was going to say, different, that's different than the Jets how. <laughs> but 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 at the but at the end of the day, um, if you're committed and you're firm in what you want to do, the only thing that can be more dysfunctional than dysfunction is more dysfunction. And and, and terminating a, a head coach in a year where you have 18 players who have been in IR, that's tied for the league lead, 27 million dollars of cap space tied up uh, with those 18 players, third most in the league. Uh, if you're wondering how I know those numbers, I just wrote the story today for Sports Illustrated on that. You know, you don't anticipate having your quarterback and losing him to Mono um, in September. Uh, you know, there's been a, an awful lot of issues. Then you couple that with the whole Mike McCagney and Joe Douglas situation, post-free agency, post-draft. You know, I, I think it's a little unfair to judge Adam Gates immediately uh, based on those returns, based on those circumstances. Again, he may not have been the right hire. Uh, again, you know, saying that Jamal Adams isn't a cornerstone and a franchise player, only a quarterback can be, is tone deaf. Uh, there's an awful lot of things he's done with how he handles the media and, and the Daryl Roberts situation and everything else that makes you question whether he's the right hire. But to base it on wins and losses and, and those issues, when there have been so many extremes this year in an organization that knows no shortage of extremes uh, over the past decade, uh, but this has been an extreme year for an extreme organization. Uh, I think it's unfair. Now, 
if Adam Gase starts 1-3, 1-4 next year, 0-4, 0-5, uh, should he be on the hot seat? Absolutely. But I think he gets a little bit of a pass this year, at least for me. All right, that is Christian Dyer of Sports Illustrated. Christian, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Have a good night. All right, Alex. So, yeah, uh, Christian making the point that uh, should Gates have been hired in the first place? The answer to that question is obviously no. Um, now, yes, they will double down and keep him around uh, this year. And so, sorry, I, I cut you off. You were answering our last call. I didn't want to cut him off, but I knew that Christian was very short on time this evening. I wanted to get him on. So I apologize to that caller. Um, would have liked to keep him on the air while you finished your answer. But uh, you can pick up where you left off, or, uh, or I'm happy to, to take it from there. Yeah, I'll just wrap it up real quick because he was asking more about the future and everything like that. And, and you know, it, things do not look, look great, obviously, right now, year to date. But, um, you know, when I, when I start looking at the other things for 2020, um, like having uh, Avery Williamson and C.J. Mosley uh, playing, not, not practice squad guys or – or special team uh, linebackers having to play off ball, uh, you know, or a Mike linebacker role. Um, I look forward to, to seeing the, the guys that we had on paper in the off season actually, actually starting for us. So I'm, I'm looking to see an improved defense up the middle. Um, I, I like where, where this defensive line is going. I, I didn't anticipate um, to see such a quick turnaround. Um, especially um, with the Jets holding their own up against the run. Uh, There's a lot of young talent on this defensive line and, and UDFAs and sixth round draft picks and, you know, guys that are not supposed to, to be doing the things that they're doing are going out and they're making plays and, and they're solidifying themselves for the future. So I like from a defensive standpoint where this is going I don't think that it's going to be as difficult to to fix the wrongs on this team defensively. Um, if the Jets are smart, they're going to hold on to their top two safeties because that is their bread and butter of this defense. Um, if they can find a way to get more talent um, at the cornerback position and and get a damn edge rusher to create a a presence, uh, a threat on second and long and third down passing situations. I really think that this defense can keep us in games that we shouldn't be involved in uh, down the road. And that's all predicated on, on what the front office has in, in store. Uh, we, we will definitely uh, be open-minded to what Joe Douglas has in store. Um, we've heard nothing but positive things from when this guy came in here so I, I'm willing to, to see what he has to, to do and, and where his mind is um, on how he can fix this team defensively because I, I don't think the holes on defense are as glaring as they are offensive at this point. Um, now, offensively, I think the biggest and hardest position to find we have in Sam Darnold, the quarterback. So now it's just a matter of acquiring more weapons for him in the receiving game. Uh, we already have a strong running back in-house, and if they're smart, they'll hold on to him too. And then it's just basically how quickly can we get 
five quality offensive linemen to give Sam Darnold the time that he deserves so he can make plays. We've seen a small sample size of what Darnold can do when he has time. We've seen what he can do when things break down and he has to create on his feet. So I think the talent is there. I just think it's a matter of doing right by Sam. Christopher Johnson admitted it today that they have not done enough to give Sam Darnold the best opportunity to be the star that we all want him to be. And and here's the interesting thing is that he's in his second year. Um, A lot of people were not anticipating this style because we haven't had a young franchise quarterback and we haven't experienced this style um, of team pretty much ever. So uh, no one anticipated a, a sophomore slump. Um, so if you want to say that his regression is on Gase, okay, that that's fair. But this could possibly be that he was just basically reacting and going with his athletic ability, and that's why he was – you know, he even admitted it that last year he was a yes man because he didn't want to tell his coaches, like, I'm not comfortable running this play or I'm not understanding the concept of this. He wanted to prove to them that he could do anything that they put in front of him. Now he's being a little bit more open with his communication and he's giving more feedback to, to Gase and, and to Dowell Loggins and, and this organization about what he's comfortable doing and, and what he's not very comfortable doing. So I think that this is a, a long process. Um, if, if people forget, um, when he was being talked about as a projection to the Cleveland Browns with Tyrod Taylor in front of him that he could sit for the entire year. He could learn how to become an NFL quarterback in year two, the Cleveland Browns will have a superstar quarterback waiting for them in Sam Darnold. Well, clearly they didn't want to wait a year to develop the young Sam Darnold. They wanted something that looked more finished in Baker Mayfield because they wanted to win games right away. And they did do that. Cleveland did finally break their losing streak. Um, but the Jets went ahead and, and said, you know what, Sam's a young kid. We, we think the world of him. And if we develop him right, we think that he's going to help us win a lot of football games. And we took him and we threw him right into the fire. So the development period that Sam Darnold was supposed to have was not put into the Jets' game plan. Their game plan was the best way for him to develop is experience. And experience will give him confidence. So they just threw him right in there to say sink or swim. And Sam Darnold held his own um, for, for the most part. And he looked like a rookie quarterback at some times, and he also looked like the QB prospect that we were hoping for at other times. So I, I still feel that the future is not as abysmal as, as some people may see it right now. I think that revamping the offensive line, adding more weapons, and, and solidifying the cornerback and the, the edge position on, on defense will absolutely flip the script with this, this with team and this organization in 2020. Well, as far as, um, you know, Darnold playing, not playing, like I, no matter who takes a quarter, when you take a quarterback this day and age in the top 10, even you may even argue the first round, like you play, that's it. That, you know, sometimes you'll say like, Oh, we're going to give this guy time. And what you mean by that is he'll be playing by week three or four. Um, that's even with the Browns. With the, the, the Browns, with, right. But the, but that was a team that didn't need a quarterback right away. 
they had a they had a Pro Bowler in front of him. Normally, teams don't right. draft quarterbacks when they have a Pro Bowler already on the roster. But you got uh, you know, even the Browns who oh we're we're going to sit Baker Mayfield. Well, was he starting by week four? Week five was he starting? Um, well, we knocked out Ty Tyrod Taylor in that that uh primetime game and he right. had to come in and play and he came back and won the game and you know broke broke the chain on the fridge so everyone got free beer in Cleveland and then basically they said we got to let this kid play that all the fans want to see him they're chanting Mayfield so yeah and, and had, he looked great just like you know just Darnold you know Darnold last year I think a lot of people um sold him short based on how he played most of the season he had some games where the numbers weren't there but he played well um, and then, of course, we saw the last four or five games of the year where you're like, okay, this, this kid is here. He's he, he's ready to take that next step in year two, similar to what Jared Goff did. You know, we see a lot of young quarterbacks now. They have that, that rookie year. And then, you know, Bill Parcells, I think, was the first person that I heard say it when I was a kid. Just that year one to year two was the biggest leap a player is going to make because that 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 adjustment to the speed of the game from college to the NFL can be so overwhelming that once you get that first year of it behind you and you come into year two and know what to expect, that's where you make your biggest leap. Um, under Adam Gase, it's, it's not been a big, it's been a huge leap backwards. Like Sam Darnold looks more lost now than he did at any time as a rookie. Um, you know, the, 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 the incompletions that we're seeing when the protection doesn't break down the, the lack of, you know, we, we don't see, rollouts we don't see we don't see a lot of the things that Sam Darnold is what Sam Darnold does his best work Sam Darnold you know does a lot of his best work on the move we don't see him roll out a lot I think I saw the first RPO I noticed all year um, last week I think they ran one or two RPO plays against the Giants we don't see him use his legs you know that's an advantage you know innovative offensive coordinators around the league right now who have quarterbacks that can run a little bit are we're seeing design runs where where they're they're making plays and and kind of giving the defense multiple things to think about, uh, whereas Adam Gase seems to be more concerned with, you know, uh, run Le'Veon Bell up the middle a few times, um, no deep shots for Robbie really, maybe won a game, um, you don't see Donald run a lot, you know, you know you don't see a lot of design runs, you don't see many rollouts, um, all of his strengths, uh, Adam Gase maybe saving it for next year, I don't know, um, but is the future of this team as I don't I don't even with the quarterback in place um, because of what we're seeing from the head coach I think a new head coach is inevitable but for the sake of continuity or saving face the Jets are going to do it a year later than they should you know I'm I'm generally a big fan of continuity and and trying not to have too much turbulence for a young quarterback but when you're getting the gate when you're getting the kid killed and he looks lost and you're losing games it's like you don't, you know, like Christian Christian Dyer mentioned, you know, for the to give the team some direction. Well, right now the direction is down. Um, I don't I don't see the benefit to well let's keep losing and playing terrible football because that would be good for our young quarterback. I, I don't get that. Even you know even last we've seen it a few weeks in a row now. You know that that opening drive last week against the Giants, seventy one yard scoring drive looked great. You know second drive wasn't so bad. They came out put up fifty yards. Then after that, minus nine and a punt, 11 yards and a punt, three yards and a missed field goal, minus one, minus one, 46 yards and a field goal, and 37 yards. I mean, the, the, the offense comes out fast and fast and loose when the plays are scripted. And then once adjustments are required, 
just just get Lachlan Edwards warmed up because he's about to go to work. Um, and it's it's a good thing they but got some scores in the defense. How many plays have we seen that went for twenty yards or more, and and then all of a sudden we see illegal hands to the face or a rub route that didn't didn't go according to plan, or we see you know another holding penalty. Every time this team shoots themselves in the foot, so many different times with the poor offensive line play, that we're, we're we are our own worst enemy in certain certain areas. One of the best plays we've had to to a tight end gets immediately called back, um, and and God, it's so unfortunate, you know. And and I hate to use injuries as an excuse, but how many starters on this team are on the IR at this point? And not contributing. How much money well, has I this front office spent on talent that is not playing year to date? It is just unbelievable the circumstances that have come at this team. I mean, for heaven's sake, our quarterback got mono. This has been one of the most bizarre situations and situations that nobody can control. Nobody in the front office can control a mono situation. Nobody can control the fact that Coletio Assembly was cleared by multiple doctors in the Jets organization to have a trade go through, and then he develops a cyst in that shoulder tear. Uh, apparently, Brian Winters has been playing with a shoulder injury, and he blew out his shoulder this past week. Ryan Coach, what, what is it with Brian Winters and NFL head coaches that don't bench the guy when he's clearly too hurt to be playing? Todd Bowles did the same thing. Now we see it from Adam Gase. Like, Brian Winters, a couple of years ago, went out there and got his ass kicked every week. And then you find out he was playing with a whatever, with a, with a broken, fractured, torn, shredded, whatever. But Todd Bowles just kept rolling him out there every week to get his ass kicked. And now we have Tom Compton on the roster, who is no superstar. But I would imagine Tom Compton, with a not broken shoulder, is, is an upgrade from Brian Winters. But Adam Gase just keeps rolling. What the, what's wrong with these guys? Let's, yeah, let's just keep playing this, dude. Let, let, let's let Le'Veon Bell average 1.2 yards a carry, and my right guard has a, a ruptured, broken, fractured, torn, whatever. But I'm just going to keep rolling him out because he's tough. Ooh, look how tough he is. I mean, well, tip your hat to Brian Winters. I have a hell of a lot of respect for him. For the idiot coaches to keep sending a guy out there to get his ass kicked while he's got that many issues going on. I mean, what 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 the hell is going that on? That is true. And, and we it's mentioned ridiculous. that I know I had said that as well that if he's playing at 80% because he's working through something, I'd much rather see Tom Compton in, in the backup role starting at 100% health. It's so not like Brian Winters I, I is no this, argument there. It's not like Brian Winters is this all-pro player who at 80% is, is still as good as most guys. He's an mm-hmm. okay player. When he's hurt, he becomes a liability, and he has been a liability, but Adam Gase keeps trotting him out there the same way Todd Bowles kept trotting him out there even though Tom Compton is a guy who has some starts under his belt and would at, at the very least would be no worse than Winters uh, and injured Winters. And maybe you give Winters some time to heal up. I mean, it's, it's as far as the guys on IR, listen, I, I'm, and this is what I keep saying. Cause here's the, here's the, the straw man argument. I saw this from the media this week. I think you may have just said something similar, Alex, that, that I completely disagree with. I keep hearing how can they be expected to win games? And all I'm saying is, don't look completely lost, overmatched, and clueless. That, that's where the bar is for me right now. I'm not saying they got to fire Adam Gase because they're not 7-2 and two, or because they're, they're they should be at least 500 with Adam Gase. I'm not saying any of that. 
I'm saying, how do you get your quarterback sacked 40 times in a half a season with an offensive line that got him sacked less than that in 16 games last year? How, how do you come out and, and not play to your quarterbacks? How do you have one of the best deep threats in the NFL coming out of a game with 11 yards? It, it's like no one is saying he should be winning, and no one is saying he should be fired because he's losing. He should be fired because he's losing in a way that is embarrassing and shows so much ineptitude that the only chance Adam Gase will ever be good is if the assistants around him get these players to play to a level that can make up for his incompetence. Because I think now we're seeing why he was only ever good when he had Peyton Manning. Wasn't very good with Cutler. Wasn't very good with, you know, we, we had that exchange on Twitter. I know, I know you're saying, oh, we'll see how long. But what we know right now, Ryan Tannehill might be playing the best football of his career. And he did that by getting yeah, away from Adam true. Gase. So Tannehill's playing better. Matt Moore had a damn good game a couple games while, while, uh, while Pat Mahomes was out. Played better without him. Tannehill played better without him. Cutler wasn't, was never that great with him. So he's got the, Peyton Manning. Had a fantastic year at a time where he became friendly with his offensive coordinator and said, dude, if you ever need a job, let me know. I'll vouch for you. And Adam Gase needed a job because he got fired in Miami because their thing fell apart after one good year. And, and Peyton Manning made a call to an impressionable Jets owner who was starstruck by the recommendation, handed him the job. And now because he's under the heat, you know, under heat and, and getting called out for making a bad hire, he wants to double down and, and show that he was right and that, that Adam Gase deserves this job. Let's go to the phones real quick, Alex. Call your call from a three four seven area code. What do you got? Uh, hey, Glenn. Hey, Alex. It's, uh, it's Ryan. How we doing? Hey, Ryan. Ryan how you doing? What's happening, bud? Doing good. I mean, we, we got to win this week, but uh, the season's been pretty miserable, guys. For being honest, <laughs> it Absolutely. feels like we lost after today's press conference. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's, what's even worse about this was that um, you know Christopher Johnson told the team this last Wednesday. Basically, when when we were one and seven, you know that that was a very low point of the season, and I don't think even beating the Giants that doesn't do anything for the fans either. Uh, it, uh, it'll probably end up hurting us in our in our stakes for Chase Young, or even Andrew Thomas if we start winning games now. Yeah, I think Chase Young's going to be a tough get because I think uh, I think you got teams like Cincinnati. I mean, really no, the Jets still have a shot at the top three. I mean, even after that win, Cincinnati's probably going quarterback if they're in the top three. Miami, I mean, Miami, you, you can't really put them in the top three anymore because they probably beat the Jets again. So uh, the Jet, they do have a shot at Chase Young. The Giants hurt their chances a little, but I think, the uh, you know, I said earlier in the show that I think Washington is a chance to win if that front seven plays as well as they did again. And mm-hmm. and who else did I say? They, they uh, Cincinnati. So the Jets might have two more wins on the schedule, which would mean no Chase Young. Um if if teams get back to blitzing the Jets heavily and, and Adam Gase and his offensive line coach go back to not knowing what to do about that, then uh, you can easily see the Jets not winning a game for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, I still think we beat the Bengals, but other than that, it's probably, you know, none of these games uh, we, we could lose, and I, I won't be surprised. Six and ten, that's my prediction on the season. Somehow uh, we're, definitely, we're not definitely, we're definitely games, not getting chased on that. Between that seven to ten pick. And Tristan Warfs is going to be the guy. That's my prediction. Yeah, I think I don't, I don't know. I don't see what, what are the four wins. What four teams do you see them beating? Uh, I think we're going to beat Miami uh, at home. Um, I think we're going to 
Uh, we're going to beat Washington this past this next week. Right. And let me take a look here. Um, Cincinnati. We got Cincinnati. We got Washington. We're going to beat Miami. That's three and the number four. I'm a little undecided here. Um, I, I have a, I have a strong feeling that we're either going to pull an upset against Oakland or Buffalo. That would be. I'm, I'm undecided at this point. I I feature more toward us in getting a, a win against Buffalo than. Uh, I think than Bu- I think I think Oakland Buffalo might be point. playing for something that week. I think and it's going to be at Buffalo. Buffalo might be trying to sneak into the, what's Buffalo five and three right now or something like that. Buffalo might yeah, be trying to sneak into the playoffs. Off, but they're you know they're not they haven't been playing as great but as I think, of late. I think they still I think have a Carr, really good team, but. I mean, o- Oakland and Oakland win wouldn't shock me. That I, I, if I had to pick one more team, they might beat. I would pick Oakland. I just don't see that happening though, because Carr at the moment is completing like seventy-two percent of his passes, and the Jets' corners are a disaster. Um, so I don't see how they slow that down. And you know, of course, underneath with the with the linebacker situation being what. And Brandon Copeland, by the way, did not practice today. Uh, so the Jets might be down to like their ninth inside linebacker. This is getting absolutely ridiculous. Um, <laughs> Chris Herndon goes on IR. Just, uh, just, just crazy, crazy. Anything else, Ryan? What else you got for us? Uh, well, I mean, what what are you guys takeaways about this whole um, Jamal Adams thing? Like, do you guys think he'll be traded in the off season, or do you think maybe we'll extend him? You go first, Alex. Well, here's the thing, and this is how I would look at it. Um, Jamal Adams is still under contract as a rookie. And they should exercise his fifth-year option. So, they, if you're in desperation mode and you want to um, perhaps uh, fix a fractured relationship uh, by by giving him a blank check and extending him early on in the process, I think that that might save grace with the Jamal Adam fan base and the team and and him and him personally. Um, I do find it very, very odd how quickly everybody turned on him um, during this whole process. Um, but uh, I really hope that they don't make a stupid decision and, and trade him away, to be quite honest with you, because there is no draft pick that's going to replace that talent level. Um, I don't care about hypothetical situations. He's a generational talent at that position. You're not going to see a player – with that type of skill set that can play coverage linebacker, cornerback, free safety, and strong safety, and then come off the edge as a pass rusher and be effective as that as well. You don't find players with all those those abilities um, every year in the draft. So if the Jets are smart and this Joe Douglas guy is a is a guru genius, as, as we've been told, um, I think he'll do the right thing and uh, keep him happy. And I'm not sure if they're going to extend him in the off season. Um, that would be a shocker, but uh, I, I think it would be a really, really stupid, stupid mistake um, if they were to to deal him to get future picks in 2021. Because what you're doing is you're already telling the fan base that we're not into winning games into 2020 either, because we just traded away our best uh, defensive player and the most talented player, um, arguably in the NFL right now. And uh, you, when you get players like that, you just don't let them walk. So that's how I kind of kind of see the Adams situation. Yeah, I think uh, the the interesting thing on Adams was uh, Christopher Johnson commented on that today. 
and said, uh, "Gee, I would I would love Jamal to be a Jet forever, but uh, you know that's Joe Douglas's decision. Like as as yeah. if as the owner, he wouldn't be able to step in and say, Joe, you're not trading this guy.' Like, and I understand yeah. he said, you know, I told Joe he could have control of the 53 man roster, right? But you're still the owner. You can still veto any move he wants to make. So yeah. I thought that was like a, I thought that was a preemptive. I didn't like that either. I thought that was a preemptive. Don't blame me for Jamal getting traded, because I, I that was Joe's decision. Like you're the if yeah. if Joe and I tweeted this earlier. If Joe Douglas walked into Christopher Johnson's office this off season and said, "Hey, Chris, just got off the phone with the Bengals. They're going to give us a second round pick for Sam Darnold." Do you think he'd go? Oh man, I wish I could stop you from doing it, but you have control of the roster. <laughs> he'd be like, "Dude, you're fired. Get out of my office." <laughs> yeah. But when it comes to Jamal Adams. He's like, oh well, you know, I love Jamal, and I'd love Jamal to be here. I hope he's Jet forever, but uh, that's that's Joe's call. So I mm-hmm. feel like he's already distancing himself from uh from what might happen. Now I, I think the only way this this works itself out is that Jamal Adams gets a a mega deal, like sort of top five paid defensive player in the NFL, which the Jets would have to do this off season rather than take advantage of having control under the rookie deal for five years. Um, but so a kind, of, a kind of the way the Jets grossly, disgustingly overpaid Mark Sanchez because they felt guilty for speaking with Peyton Manning when he was a free agent and they wanted to they wanted to make Mark feel better about himself. So they gave him a deal where they overpaid him. I think Jamal Adams um, it's kind of exposed himself a little bit here. Uh, you know, he, he plays the whole leadership angle, but leaders, you know, you don't leaders don't do what he did. But he's, you still can't take away the fact that he's a fantastic football player an amazing football player who is going to give you everything he's got on every single play. And there's a lot to be said for that. So I would love to see them find a way to lock him up long-term, but I think what's going to happen is he's going to want money that the jets aren't going to give him or, or maybe that maybe they do, maybe they just grossly overpay to keep the guy, but I think they're leaving the door open for an off season trade. And you know, maybe when they talk, listen, they, they cleared the air, right? If Jamal said, look, I want out the jets might've said, look, dude, play at a level that gives you the value that we want to get you out. Go make some plays mm-hmm. so teams won't hesitate when we say we want a one and a three for this guy. And this, this, this weekend against the Giants was a pretty good start because those are the types of players that they, they fetch a lot of picks. So my mm-hmm. preference would be get him re-signed. I want him to stay here. But Christopher Johnson pretending he doesn't have the authority to prevent him from getting traded makes me think that the Jets are – they're leaning right now. They're leaning towards dealing him in the off season. And, yeah, and I mean, you see, this is what makes it so crazy with the fact that the Jets front office has has leaks and and this created a conundrum because then you got guys on the beat saying, per sources, you know, this is a, a done deal. It's going to be announced by four o'clock that day, and and then nothing comes out of it, and. You know these rumors, uh, uh, you know, equate to nothing, and and the the consequences of this leak has created turmoil in the fan base, uh, you know, in the locker room for a few days with our star athlete, and now rather than being able to come up with an off-season game plan in 2020 to fix the other areas of need. The Jets have to think about allocating some money in the event to save grace to to fix this possible tarnished relationship when we shouldn't even be in contract negotiations with Jamal Adams until 2021. 
according to the timeline of his contract. So it's a really, really awkward situation that they, they put themselves into. Um, and, and it's going to be, uh, you know, obviously one of the most talked about uh, conversations, I'm sure, when the offseason rolls around. Will he be dealt? Will he won't be dealt? And it will be extremely distracting. But, uh, you know, that's what happens when, when you don't have a tight ship. And I think that by staying the course and not blowing up the front office is kind of telling everybody that when the tough gets going, we're not going to jump ship. We're going to stay the course. We're going to fight this out. We're going to show some grit. We're going to show some, uh, I guess, more or less uh, commitment to to the decisions that they've made early on. Uh, and, and show that to this team that we're not giving up on anybody in the, in this you know organization, and and that's the way it should be moving forward. Is that we should never be giving a sense of doubt to to the players and and to the fan base. So a lot a lot of uh, I guess cleanup work that that needs to be done from here until next the beginning of next season. Yeah, I mean, I I totally agree, you guys. The whole trade deadline thing was weird. We had, you know, our beat reporters telling us that they wouldn't be shocked if Adams was traded, and then, you know, it all kind of came out that the Jets weren't really shopping him, but, you know, obviously Douglas was picking up the phone and listening to offers. But I I think what the trade deadline told you is that they're not going to just send him away. Obviously, they're looking for, you know, a very high package, maybe to to turn that into – a similar situation with, uh, you know, how we did with John Abraham, how we turned it into Brick and Mangold, something like that. But I don't know. I, I actually took the comments today from Christopher Johnson a different way. Uh, it kind of seemed to me, you know, as they said, uh, like, like how they told the team that Gase was staying last Wednesday, I kind of have a feeling that Christopher Johnson's not going to let Adams walk. You know, there's a lot of debate uh, in the offseason about uh, did Adam Gase want Le'Veon Bell or did he not? I had a feeling that wasn't just a McCannion move. I kind of feel like Christopher Johnson was involved in getting Bell here, at least, you know, pushing for it. So he's definitely, you know, Christopher Johnson, I, I, I do think is involved in some of the decisions. Obviously, should he be? You know, probably not. Uh, you know, I, I don't think he's a good owner. Uh, Woody wasn't a good owner. But, you know, today I think he's just saying that just to kind of like tell tell the fans that he's not really involved. But, you know, he, he is involved. I think we we all know this. So, I mean, he could be traded. Uh, obviously, you never really want to trade away a talent like that. You could see what, you know, he can do. I mean, he's an amazing talent. This past game against the Giants was, uh, that you know, that, that's an all-pro safety. That, that If he keeps continuing like that, you know, he'll, he'll have a gold jacket one day. So you never want to get rid of a talent like that, especially, you know, with the Jets, with how bad the season's been, with, uh, you know, so many – there's so much bad play this season that you really don't want to get rid of one of the only positive, you know, spots on the team, but uh, it's, it's, it's interesting debate. Yes. I mean, listen, it's like, it's going to take up a lot of uh, bandwidth this off season. And there's definitely, I think teams will inquire. Um, I think whether Jamal's feelings are hurt by that or not, um, I don't know, but the jet, the jets have to take all calls. Joe Douglas's job is to make this team better. And uh, if he feels like he would rather have a first rounder and a, and a third rounder to to get himself a tackle and, and maybe a receiver in round three, whatever he wants to do, 
if he feels like that's more uh, that's more beneficial than giving a safety, uh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be at a great safety, 15, 16, 17 million a year, then uh, I think he might have to, he's going to have to have to think on that. And again, this could be a thing where they basically, uh, they may have just already spoken behind closed doors and said, look, just keep your nose clean. Stop going to the media and telling us that, uh, you know, and, and again, that was another thing that Jamal did that I didn't care for. And I think I mentioned it last week, you know, oh, I spoke to Chris Johnson. He's great. And he cares about people and he's honest and he cares and he's honest and he cares. And I talked to him because he's honest and he cares. And then when they say Jamal, did the other guys not care? Oh, no, I didn't say that, man. Don't say I said that. Like, dude, you, you said it without saying it. You know what I mean? So if they mm-hmm. just said, look, stop, stop bad mouthing us in the media. Stop saying that we did this and we did that. And we'll, we'll do our best to get you to the place you want to go this offseason. You know, that might be a conversation that took place. I'm speculating, of course. Um, and it could have been a legit thing where they're like, dude, just keep playing your ass off and you'll get your money this offseason. Uh, so we'll see what happens because, you know, we see it more and more with these young guys, these young players that, that don't like the way things are going. They just they demand the trade. I, I want to go, you know, I, I don't want to go through sort of the, uh, the, the, the hard times. I just want the, the quick fix. You know, with, uh, Minka Fitzpatrick did it with the Dolphins. A couple guys did it this season where they either got traded or, or demanded trades because they didn't want to be on bad teams. Um, yeah, you know, there was it a time, like a Melvin was, Gordon, Ezekiel Elliott thing where they're demanding more money while they're still under contract, then, then I'm going to change my, my whole perspective because if you're really about winning Super Bowls, um, you worry about the money later. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you signed a, a top first round, what was he, the sixth pick, so you, you got a top ten pick money on the table right now with a fifth year option to make well over 40 to $45 million in your first four or five years. And then you're probably going to be looking at money on an average between, I don't know what top safeties get. I'm trying to think off the top of my head here, but I would imagine it's probably somewhere between, you know, anywhere from 14 to $17 million, because if we can pay Tremaine Johnson, $17 million for what he's doing, every team in the NFL should have no problem paying that amount for what Jamal Adams does. And he's a much, much higher talent, but I wouldn't want to be a trade suitor knowing that, okay, I'm going to pick up Jamal Adams contract on a rookie deal. But the minute that he gets here, he's not going to play unless if we give him quarterback style money in year four of his rookie contract. I don't well, know I think in that situation, be. what teams tend to do is they agree to a deal before the trade is made because yeah, exactly. teams aren't going to do that. Yeah. They're not going to say, well, here's a one, and now we sure hope Jamal will sign. You know, the team will – they'll use the agent and say, look, here's the money we'll give him. And if they say, all right, we'll be happy to sign that, then the Jets will make a deal. And by the way, checked with our friends at OverTheCap.com. Uh, Tyron Matthews, the top paid – oh, no, no, Kevin, Kevin Byard with, Ted, with the Titans – Makes fourteen point one million a year. Tyron Matthew makes fourteen million. Uh, Landon Collins with the Redskins fourteen million. So I think I said fifteen, go. which would make him the highest paid safety in the NFL. Uh, but and the other thing, though, Alex, and I said this before with players, I, I share your sentiment. Someone in terms of you know the guy having a, a, a sixth overall pick contract, and he's due to make X amount. But from his perspective, he's got an agent in his ear saying. Uh, Jamal, you're, you're not making forty. That. You're not making forty. You're losing thirty-five. You know, because you should yeah. you should be on a deal worth seventy-five million, and instead you're on a deal for forty million. So these guys don't walk around thinking, "Man, I'm so lucky to make forty million." 
He's walking around saying, I can't believe these guys are stealing $35 million from me. And that's why you get these, these acrimonious, you know, uh, these, these negotiations where things get ugly and fans are saying, but I can't understand why. He's, and I'm not, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I just I feel like that's always the player perspective. It's not that I'm making $20 million, I'm losing $10 because I know the market says I'm worth 30 So that's kind of there's, – there's no sense of like, oh, I'll just be happy to make what I'm making. Cause, and especially if, especially if we're talking about uh, whether or not he wants a Super Bowl because th- that, that damn thing is nowhere in sight. He might be on his third contract by the time that time comes with this, with this uh, organization. But um, thanks for calling in. We appreciate it. You got anything else for us, Ryan? Uh, no, that's it, guys. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks for calling in, man. Thanks, Ryan. All right, so um, just a couple things I wanted to touch on before we wrap things up, Alex. Uh, what did you think of Bless Austin on Sunday against the Giants? How refreshing was that? Yeah, you know, uh, I was a little skeptical. Um, Greg Williams' comment in his press conference interview prior to that week or prior to the game was a little misleading because he said, I don't, I don't know, like know anything about him. He hasn't played a game in years and I can't give you, you know, my, my take on, on his, you know, play, play capability because I haven't seen him. And that kind of made me think like, okay, this guy's going to be active, but I don't think he's going to get, you know, a lot of reps, if any at all. Right, right. Uh, Nate Harrison had different plans on Sunday. Yeah, he, he may so not have seen reps if Harrison had played so terrible. Hands a little bit. Um, yeah, you know, it's. I, I think it, did he have two passing interference calls on him? Because I think it was right after the second, or it might have been after the the big touchdown that he led up to Darius Slayton. It was the final straw uh, for Greg Williams, and you know, I, I was very critical. Um, about him a couple weeks ago. Uh, I thought his game plan that he had against Miami was absolutely horrific. The Jets defense was just terrible um, in all aspects. Um, But I think he bounced back this week and had a much better game plan. Yes, the Giants are not that great of a team, but they do, they do have some, some, you know, crazy talented players on, on the offensive side. He got lucky without having Ingram. Um, We couldn't control Golden Tate. Uh, they have a great running back in Barkley, and, and man, oh, man, did we do a stellar job of uh, of stopping him. But uh, to keep the, the conversation on, on Austin, uh, you know, it was a small sample size. I think he was only targeted four or five times. Um, I think he let up one catch. He had a pass deflection, stuck his nose, uh, you know, in the uh, dog pile a couple times, played with intensity, played physical. So those are the things that, that – you know, that's all you can really ask for from a young player. Uh, play smart, keep everything in front of you, and, uh, you know, make as little mistakes as possible. And and that's kind of what he did. I'm not going to say that he went up against great talent, um, but, you know, with, with the wide receivers he was up against. But at the end of the day, he did go out there, and, and he did his job. Uh, so I don't know if, if that – is going to give him the opportunity to start this upcoming week. Um, that that would be very interesting to see where, where Greg Williams goes uh, because we know that Daryl Roberts is still banged up and we lost Jermaine Johnson for the year. And uh, Nate Harrison is, is also working through uh, a little bit of injuries at this point as well. So 
it looks like we might be stuck with him, and I'm just kind of hoping that um, everything that we've read about uh, continues with, with this young player because we, we definitely need some help at the cornerback position. Yeah, and the Jets also, um, they placed Chris Herndon on IR. Unfortunately, that was something that I think uh, <laughs> you kind of, once once you heard he had a cracked rib, you just thought, oh, boy, that's it. They're going to yeah. IR him, and they did. Kyron Brown, the undrafted rookie <clears throat> free agent corner from Akron, who was with the Jets in the preseason, who uh, who I thought we might see get some look, some run at safety. Um, not sure that uh, not sure that that he's um, I don't know if he has a, the the speed at the pro level, but you know we'll find out we'll find out in time. But listen, this is a. Uh, this is going to be a chance for some young guys to audition and show what they can do because they have um, they're not going to win a lot of football games and they're going to have that that might be the only good thing about them things falling apart this early in the season is that some guys are going to get an opportunity to play so we'll see how that goes but I think that uh, I think Austin is the guy that I'm that I'm curious to see because listen we all heard it when he was drafted what little film and footage I was able to find of him he looked like a really good player and everyone said you know he, he's a round sec, round two or three guy who fell as far as he did because of the injuries so now you just have to hope that he can stay healthy and and make some plays but this team is still I mean <clears throat> the injuries are still ridiculous with this team at this at this point um they just keep piling up and piling up but uh wanted to we'll do just not even not even a studs or duds, Alex. Let's just throw out a couple names, guys. You think played well, who who uh, who deserve some credit? Of course, we've mentioned Jamal Adams. For me, uh, Jordan mm-hmm. Jenkins, really nice game. Uh, Fadakasi yep. had himself a really good game again. That guy's really turning out to be a force. And I think yep. that you know, with with some of these young D linemen up front, that's been a that's been an exciting development. And uh, it was nice to see uh, your guy uh, Trayvon Wesco have his most extensive action of the season. So uh, oh, g- man, give me three, or, give me three or four guys who stood <laughs> out, and then we'll wrap things up. Yeah, um, uh, you know I'd have to say he he had a, I, I want to say he had somewhere around like twenty reps or snaps, but to to take what was given to you and to maximize your reps and and, and to make plays and stand out, you have to say Nate Shepard um, looked like you know the guy that. Uh, you know, we were we were all hoping for as as people labeled him uh, the Canadian Thanos as of last year, and kind of didn't really see that from his rookie year. And and we know that the defensive tackle position is very very tough, and it's hard to stand out in the trenches. But uh, he did so last Sunday, and he created some pressure, and and he got some hits on the quarterback, and, and was effective in in the run game. So definitely nice to see some interior stuff from. Um, from Nathan Shepard, uh, you know Kyle Phillips. I just, I, I, I just get really, really fascinated on on how he gets aligned because Greg Williams puts him all over the place. You know, lining up as a defensive end or an inside defensive tackle. Sometimes you'll see him standing up like he's like kind of like an outside linebacker. Um, you know what I what I did like is um, to go back to Nathan Shepard is. Uh, he kind of got his name out there during the um, East-West Shrine game, and he was going up against one of the top guards in the draft, Will Hernandez. That was the, uh, at the Senior he, Bowl. 
or senior bowl. Um, so he was beating him, and and we got a couple reps of him on tape beating one of the better offensive linemen. That and, was uh, Hernandez, you know, the guy the Giants clearly, ended up drafting. Yep, and clearly Greg Williams remembered that, and when he put him out there, that's who we put him up against. And uh, he beat him a, a couple times too. So I liked how Greg Williams kind of looked at, you know, players individually and said, where could I put this guy to where he can maximize his potential? And, and Greg Williams did that. So, so I definitely like that. Um, somebody that's not getting talked about that, you know, uh, and, you know, nobody, a lot of negativity, obviously, and, and, and rightly so. But uh, I have to say that I'm fairly impressed to what Demaryius Thomas has done. Um, yeah, I didn't think absolutely. he had had what he's been doing left in his tank, um, and it looks kind of like when we first got him, we were kind of a little skeptical. He looks a little slow. Um, he's dropping passes. You know, he was wide open, and you know, looked like he could have uh, made a big play early on. But the last couple of weeks, he's been one of the more productive guys, and you know, there's been some some offensive drives where he's led the charge. And, and Darnold's done a good job of finding him. And, you know, you kind of think it's like, man, looking at what he's doing, and that's supposed to be Quincy and Nunwa's role. And, and you kind of think that if, if Quincy had stayed healthy, I think that on an offensive standpoint, this team would have been way more aggressive than what we've seen because you definitely want a, a younger version of Demaryius Thomas. And I think that that's what they were expecting from, from Quincy. So, but I, I, I have to say I've been quite impressed with his play the last couple of weeks, and, and I kind of hope that he continues to uh, to be a little bit of the, you know, Sam's go-to guy uh, moving forward. Yeah, I mean, he's been very impressive, and, you know, you do look at him and think, all right, this is a guy that you keep around for at least another year, you know, possibly two. I think that he was he, – he's been much better than I anticipated. I, I thought he had something left in the tank. I even – right before the season. Oh no, I think it was right after Quincy was injured and I did a, a short article on some guys they could target and Demarius Thomas was the guy that I mentioned. And I, no, I, I think it was before that. I think it was before the season um, when I listed some free agent uh, guys who could be signed. That's right. Cause I think the Patriots re-signed him like an hour after I wrote that, but I thought he would be a guy who could contribute. I didn't think he would be this good. Um, so, you know, good job by Joe Douglas getting him. And nice job, you know, so far from him. And, again, if he can be a third or fourth receiver next year, that would be fantastic. But um, right now it's all about this year and trying to win a couple more games, trying to trying to get this damn thing going in the right direction despite Adam Gase and, and see if Sam Darnold can get the, back to playing the way he was under Jeremy Bates last year and, you know, get, target Robbie Anderson once in a while perhaps. I don't know. Try something drastic like that. But uh, but that's it for us this week. Alex, thanks for joining us. And uh, a big thank you again to Christian Dyer of Sports Illustrated. Check Christian out on, on Twitter, at Christian Dyer. And uh, Christian's been covering the Jets for, for quite a while now, in a couple of different publications. And he does, a, he does a really nice job. He's always been great with us, very generous with his time. So give Christian a look. And also our sponsor, Mile Social. If you, have, if you are running a small business and you – have too much on your plate, you need someone to help manage your social media platforms for you, your Instagram, your Twitter, your Facebook, you name it, they'll run it. Check them out at Mile Social. That is M-I-L-E Social, milesocial.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. Alex, have a great night.
Have a good night, Jet Nation.